Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today, I have Brooke Sellis, the founder and CEO of B Squared Media, a digital marketing agency specializing in done-for-you social media, advertising, and social media customer care management. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today, and I've just loved getting to know you. <laughs> as as am I, because I always like uh, you. You obviously run your own podcast. Uh, you had one before, I think, and you kind of restarted another one. Um, so I think it's always great uh, talking to other podcast hosts and everything. Uh, I love your feedback at the end. Uh, of course, <laughs> we're like a special uh, little crew as po- a we podcasters, I should say. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> And so I want to start with uh, your career hasn't really taken like a traditional line, um, especially with a lot of founders I speak with. And I mean, I guess I would say that a lot of founders do take a different line, but um, I wanted to dive into that. And can you basically just kind of tell us your story from college and how you eventually started your firm with this pub crawl? Yeah. So I was actually working in nonprofit and this was like 2006. Uh, 2005, six, four, somewhere early 2000s, mid to close to mid 2000s. And um, I was working on a nonprofit and they came to me and said, Hey, you're young, you're a young professional. You know, this was in Dallas. Um, you're hip. <laughs> uh, we need you to figure out how to get young people involved with our charity, which was the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And that's no easy task because cystic fibrosis only affects 33,000 Americans, my sister being one of them. So really most people don't even know that this disease exists. So I'm like, how on earth am I going to get people to care about this thing that they've never really heard about? Right. So what I ended up doing was forming a young professionals committee. And, uh, we were all people who had like some sort of connection to CF, but we were all young professionals in Dallas. And at the time, Facebook was newish, right? Like there weren't any pages, there weren't, there wasn't advertising. It was just all profiles. So what we decided to do was create a pub crawl because what are people our age interested in? Beer. (laughs) And we started a Facebook page. I mean, it was a profile, but we treated it like a page. Like we put a logo and we named it Generation Cure. Um, and we, you know, all the about stuff was about the foundation and we ended up recruiting in three months time, 7,500 people to attend this pub crawl. And then at the end of the event, we ended up making $60,000, which is like 16 times what most first time events normally make. So not only did the young professionals leadership committee that I built in Dallas get accepted nationwide and implemented it at all 80 something chapters, they also started doing the pub crawl at other chapters as well. So that's a very long story to explain that like, that's how my whole like idea of social media being a thing, like a something for business came about through a totally different industry. Maybe, I don't know if this is a good or bad question, but like, what did you learn from that experience that you now bring to your firm? Yeah, that's great that you say that because I think why we were so successful is because it was still a profile. We were all involved. We were inviting our friends. It was all about like conversations among people. We weren't really trying to market the event. We were trying to collect people, if that makes sense. And I think that collaboration and those connections, like true connections and all of the conversations that we were having on this Facebook profile led to 
that conversion of them coming to the event. Some of them, you know, obviously just went to the event and didn't get involved with the foundation, but then some of them did become volunteers and join committees and things like that. So I would say it was a, a job well done. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you another pat on the back for this next question, because uh, to extend before we get into the marketing stuff and everything, uh, I, I want to continue kind of talking about the nonprofits because I know that means a lot to you. And I think it was just on your LinkedIn, you know, you've been a part of Best Buddies, Valley Crest Farm, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Courtney's House. So the question I guess I want to ask is like, what does volunteering mean to you? Everything. I mean, so because I grew up with a sister who was uh, terminally ill, I started volunteering. Basically, I was uh, six when she was born. So, I mean, we got involved with the foundation. She got diagnosed at six months and we got involved with the foundation like the next year. So I've always been involved with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, I love the work that they do, but that just kind of instilled the whole like, what do I want to call it? Like trait? I don't know. It's something about me because of that growing up that way and it being exposed to charity at such a young age. I now have like this thing where I have to be giving back, even if it's not the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which I, you know, took a break from, but now I'm the chairperson of Best Buddies. Like it's just innately something I have to do. I can't not be giving my time, treasure or talent in some way to people who need it. So you have all of this. Uh, I know you wrote a book a couple of years ago. You have the podcast, you have the company. So like, how the hell do you do so much? <laughs> I'm really organized. You know, it's so funny. People ask me that all the time. And I'm like, honestly, like that is the answer. I'm like hyper organized. And I think that plays a big part in like time management and, you know, handling your day and prioritizing tasks. And it all just goes back to being organized. Like that's how I do it all. I'm just very, um, uh, what am I saying? Trying to say like stern. Yeah. I'm very stern with myself about my schedule and my priorities. Is there any other like, like tangible best practices or anything you do besides like a calendar? Is there anything like you could highlight that says like, I think that this gives me more ability to do more? Yeah. Automation is your, is your friend. You know, I, I don't want to do automation to the point where personalization goes away. Um, but I do use a lot of automation to help be get my message out as people want to connect with me or want to buy the book or want to, you know, download something that we offer or sign up for our newsletter. So I always say in my emails that are automated, hey, this really is me. And I read and respond to every comment. So if you want to reply and ask a question, book a call, whatever it is, I will read it and I will reply. And so I think that kind of helps you know, soften the fact that yes, everybody's getting this automated email, but it truly is me. And I truly do respond. <laughs> Are there any like tools you can highlight that help you with that? Yeah. So with automation and calendars, I would say Calendly is really amazing. Um, if you're an Out Outlook or a Microsoft team user, they have bookings. It's called bookings. It's kind of hidden actually. So if you are uh, a Microsoft Teams person, whoops, just uh, look up bookings uh, like through Google and it'll kind of walk you through where to find it because it's a little bit hidden, which is weird, mm -hmm. but it can totally replace Calendly if you are a, a Microsoft Office person. And then for our CRM and automation, we use Keep which used to be Infusionsoft. And so they have really great templates that are kind of like all the things you would think about that are just there. You can pop them in and, and setting those up are really easy. But they also have advanced automations, which I really love. So you can build out 
your own crazy long workflow, however you see fit. And so like even for sales, because I do sales, like once somebody clicks uh, the intake email that they want to have a chat with me, it tags them with free consultation. It help books the meeting. It sends the intake questions. Like it's just... It saves you a lot of time. And AI, obviously, using AI, I, you know, I think it's it's not here to take our jobs. If we know how to use it correctly, it's here to make us better. I, I think, you know, what we've been calling it at my company is it's a fault partner. You know, like I, yeah. I don't over copy and paste from like let's highlight like chat GPT. It's a great thought partner. And it, it at the end of the day, it comes down to the inputs, right? Like the outputs are only as good as the inputs. Yes. Uh, but yes. man, it's uh it's so nice. It's a game changer. Yeah, it is. It will save you so much time, especially because I do a lot of writing. So, you know, if I want to outline something or if I want to get some like pet pithy headline brainstorming exactly. stuff, it's great. It's fabulous. So, I, so I, I posted something like uh, totally unrelated, um, but I needed quotes and I need to tie the quotes for the person I was writing about to like stoicism. Uh, and literally all I did was like find Jalen Hurts quotes and tie them to real stoic quotes. And it's like, and it was Perfect. Like in, in, in 10 seconds you had, what would have taken you probably a couple of hours, right? Yeah, like oh, days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of using, I'll say smart automation. You know, you can't, I'm very big on personalization. So you, you, you have to really walk the line between those two things. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, now taking a step back, do you mind just telling us a little bit more about the agency? Yeah. So I started B Squared Media in 2012, 2012. So we're 11 years old. And um, gosh, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> we we started out, funnily enough, the first six months in business, I thought I was going to be one of those agencies that like built the social strategy and then passed it to you. And you went on and you, Josh, implemented that plan, right? And what I quickly found out after my, I closed my first client, which was a fintech client, built them their strategy, walked away. And about two weeks later, Josh is calling me like, uh, yeah, so we don't really want to be doing the doing. Can you just do it for us? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, I, I could do that for you. And then once I started doing it for them, I realized I was not going to be building strategies. I wasn't going to be the strategic partner. I was going to be the doer, the implementer, right? Not the visionary, but the implementer. So I quickly pivoted and you know that's what we decided to do. So that's where done for you comes in, right? We do the things for you. So we do your social media for you. We do your advertising for you. We do your customer care management through social media for you. <laughs> so it's more implementer versus visionary. Does it ever become too much or do you have like guardrails in place to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. I think, you know, as a business owner, what I've learned, one of the biggest and best pieces of advice I could give is in your agreements, make sure that your scope of work is crystal clear about what you will and what you will not do. And that way, if somebody has uh, you know, tries to do something that's outside of the scope or, you know, presents you with scope creep, you can say, Hey, Josh, thank you so much for the opportunity to do this new project with you. It is outside of our scope of work. If you look at the agreement, however, I can put together a proposal for this project or, you know, an hourly rate or whatever it is to get this done for you. Like we'd love to do this for you, but it's not in your scope. So you're going to have to pay more. <laughs> 
<laughs> it gives you a reason to to charge more, I guess, is is kind of what yeah. you're also, also not go crazy, but also, you know, charge later more. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, and I've and I'm still learning, like we're still making little tweaks eleven years into our agreements and scope of works because um, you know, we'll, things come up, you know, when you hear something for the first time, what do you do? You shouldn't like let it go by and be like, oh yeah, let me just fix your agreement. You should make that iteration to all of the agreements moving forward. Oh, agreements and contracts. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to go too Not far a sexy topic, but important. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, the FinTech customer was your first customer. How did you get them? Oh boy. Okay. So I was working for a sales and marketing company in Texas and I was their marketing director and their social media director. Um, I was working like 80 hours a week. I was miserable. I was barely making any money. And my dad came to me one day and said, I got you a pitch with the CMO of our company. And uh, they're, they're, they're USA Technologies was the company. They're the ones who put the cashless uh, payment systems in the, in the cabs in New York City. They do like cashless payment systems. And uh, he said, but that's as far as I take it. Don't ask me for anything else. I got you the pitch. And if you win it, my only condition is you have to do it on your own. Like you, you have to like do this as, you know, either Brooke, well, at the time, Brooke Ballard or, you know, create a company. So I was like, okay, sure. Like not thinking I would win the pitch, right? <laughs> and so I went in and I won the pitch and basically B squared was formed, you know, a few days later. <laughs> so you, did you have any intent? Like, like, did your dad know that you were interested in this or he's just like, I think you got the skills. I'm just going to throw you in there. Yeah. Well, I think it was both my dad and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. Uh, they both saw like I was working really hard. I had created these social media systems um, for the company that I was working for, and they were making a ton of mo- money off of me. Meanwhile, I'm working 80 hours a week, making you know no money hardly. And they were like, look, you can do this. You built it for them. Do it for yourself. And so um, that's what pushed me in. I mean, they literally kind of like pushed me over the cliff. So I moonlighted for like maybe a year until I got my second client. And then I said, okay, sayonara, I'm going to do the thing. (laughs) That was literally my next question. It is obviously, you know, getting the first customer is big and it starts everything off and sparks everything, but you're not really a company until almost you get that second customer. And that's when it becomes a trend. And that's when you start to build and grow and scale. Uh, So how did you get the second customer? My boyfriend slash now husband. Yeah. So he brought me this second client. And we had a long conversation. We were living together at the time. And he said, you know, here's what I think you should do. I think you should quit your job. You've got two clients. It doesn't cover everything, but we can sell your car because we were living in New York City at the time. So we had a car. It was very expensive to park it in a garage. We never used it. You can sell your car and use that as startup money. So I sold my Jeep Liberty for like 6,000 bucks, had these two clients, bought myself a Mac and some software and went for it. And uh, yeah, it's very different now. But I mean, you know, it was, it was, I was the only person doing all of the social stuff 365 days a year. So I had to work seven days a week, 365 days a year for like two or three years until I finally got comfortable enough financially to hire my first person. Let's dive into that. What, <laughs> like what moment and was it too late or was it too early? Did you realize like, all right, you know, time to hire someone else? It was it was kind of two parts. It was like, do we have enough financially to 
pay someone, right? To hire someone other than myself. Oops. And do we, did I have the mental capacity to keep going on my own seven days a week? You know, because the big goal at that time was to get somebody to help with the weekend stuff. So I could just go to be an, a Monday through Friday person, uh-huh. right? So that was our first hire. And um, it was perfect timing, but it was also early because I hadn't written down any of those processes. So all of the things that I did that were like the program, the the deliverables for all of these agreements, I had never written down any of my processes. So I had to scramble at this first hire to write them all down <laughs> because I needed to pass them to someone else to do. They just lived in my head. What 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 do those look like now? Like what do those processes look like now? Are they like in an SOP doc, like a standard operating procedure doc? Are they like how, how does that structure? Yeah. So we have SOPs for everything we do. So I've now, once I learned that lesson, I learned it very well. And I went through and like everything that we do is documented. When we come up with a new service, it's documented. When we um, you know, do a training for the team for a new service. It's documented. We do a video training. We do a live training. Like we make sure that we give everybody the tools to do the work that we say we're going to do in a grade A top-notch kind of way. So it's almost paint by numbers for our team because literally you just copy and paste the, the punch list that we have. We use a base camp as our project management tool and that's where they all live. And you can literally copy and paste those those templates and those punch lists over and over so you never miss a beat right and also make sure to have an sop for when people like get fired or leave the company or something because i've been in a company that didn't have that and they're i don't want to say what but they're gonna they're gonna get something's gonna happen probably in the future that they're gonna get screwed because they didn't have out process in place and things just got forgotten and everything so yeah that as well yeah that's the thing yeah that and hiring you know, hiring, we're hiring for, for what do you do when a client's unhappy? What do you do when a client wants a refund? What do you do when a client um, has, you know, is giving you sp- scope creep? I've ri- actually written out scripts for our team members um, called asking the hard questions. So when clients ask them a hard question, they have an idea of like the B squared way to answer that. Oh, that's great. Uh, last question on hiring, uh, any good stories on bad hires or hires that went wrong or anything like that? Yeah, I think we used to run like, um, fast and crazy with our hiring. We were like, we were the opposite of what the thing says, which is hire slow, fire fast. We were the opposite. We were hire slow. No, we would hire fast and fire slow. So we were not the best and we got lucky. We've had some like incredibly amazing people who have worked with us and still work with us, but we've also made some real doozies um, of hiring. And so about two or three years ago, we re- totally revamped our hiring process and we stuck um the job of hiring with a few key people on our team so that that processes followed. It's always the same people. And that has drastically changed the way we hire and onboard new people. Is that the biggest difference from what you were doing before to, to now is, is basically streamlining it by making sure that it's the same X amount of people that are, are looking at this hire? Yeah, it's the same amount of people. They follow a very detailed process all the way down to the questions 
that they ask during the interviews and scoring. We actually score people with a scorecard on how they answer questions. So if they don't make it to a certain score, we don't hire them, period. So, you know, some people can have a good interview, but, you know, they, they, their personality seems amazing, but they don't answer the questions quite the way you'd want them to. Well, they don't get hired. I'm sorry. It's not about how great your personality is. It's like, how well can you do the job? So we have those. And then our onboarding um, process got totally revamped. And now we like make them shadow with people. So for like the first 90 days, they're kind of almost in training. So that we're not just like cutting them loose on doing something before they're ready. Any any of those questions that you ask in an interview that you're open to sharing? Oh my gosh. A lot of them are like process driven. So like... Um, your client is an ice cream shop and um, you need to get them to get people on their social media pages to converse with you, like through your post, what would you do? Like what kind of post would you create? You know, so the perfect answer is like, oh, I would be like, you know, if you can only pick one flavor for the rest of your life, you know, which would it be? And like have it an open-ended like people comments kind of thing. That would be the best answer. The worst answer would be like, I would post our flavor of the week in a picture and say, yum, strawberry, you know, like, like, how's that going to get people to converse with the brand? That's not going to work. So, you know, they might score a one, whereas the the open-ended question person would score like a five. Can you explain why the open-ended question is a better answer? Because you're enticing your audience to converse with you, you know, and it's not, that's not an easy task. I'll be the first to admit, but our tagline is think conversation, not campaign, because we truly believe that if you converse with your audiences, and this is customers and people who are potential customers through your social media channels, that you're highly more likely to be successful. And you are more successful than other people who are just throwing out like, buy my stuff content. Say that, say the line again, the campaign conversation, not campaign. I love that because uh, I've been in sales most of my life. And um, the day that I realized that I should stop asking just for that call on the first two emails and just ask a qualifying question or just get the conversation started, it changed everything for me. Like people weren't falling off anymore because at the end of the day, the more contact points that you get with that person, even if it's just like, Hey, did you think about X? And they're like, Oh no, I haven't blah, blah, blah. And you're just not asking for a call. You're just getting them more involved in the conversation, building the trust and all that kind of stuff. So I could not agree more with that. Oh, I align with you now as a salesperson too, because I am the the only salesperson for B squared. And that is truly my sole goal. When I book free consultations, it's all about the client or a potential client and asking those qualifying questions, you know, because we all have different um, points of view and we all, and when it comes to social media, we all have kind of like different definitions of things. So like when I say like, Hey Josh, so tell me about your customer care program on social. What are you doing? And you're like, Oh, well, when, you know, somebody comments on a post, we reply. Or when somebody sends a DM, we reply. And I'm like, that's social monitoring. What are you doing? to actually retain or acquire customers through social media. And then they're like, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, I love that you said qualifying questions. I think that's another point too. Business owners have to, to get comfortable and know what those qualifying questions are. And, and understands there's almost qualifying answers as well. Uh, and, and 
how to identify them and then move it to the next step. Because, you know, you don't want to spend too much time on this one question when the person has already checked off the box of I'm ready to move forward. Right. Like, yeah, you just harp on that. You're like, you're not, we're not getting anywhere. You could have just moved forward. So I think that's a, a yeah. Great. Qualifying answers are perfect for objections, right? Cause you probably get Thank you. similar objections as you're talking to people. And if you have those qualifying answers that match with, you know, the most common objections that you get, they're going to do great. I don't get in many sales conversations. So that was, that was really nice to me. Obviously it's more on, on, on marketing. So. Oh, I'll nerd uh, out with you on sales anytime, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's great. A um, few questions that I tend to ask at the end. Uh, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Uh, I think the biggest thing that marketers have issues with are putting things in a box, right? So like a lot of times you'll see the the social tools post something, the best time to post is Wednesday at 11 or whatever, whatever. And then marketers take that blanket statement and apply it to their brand when really every brand is different. You have to set your own standards for each brand or client that you work with. And I think teaching marketers that critical thinking part of creating what those standards are, and then implementing that into some of the, the processes, the standard operating procedures that are specific to that client, right? So we have the SOPs, but then you have the brand SOPs or statements or whatever. I think that's great because, uh, again, to bring it to sales for another second, um, I was I was actually helping another company with their messaging and all their outbound cold messaging and all that kind of stuff. And I was showing them my results from from Apollo, the sequence tool that we use, and they're like, like they're the best things I've ever seen. Like it's it's amazing, but it's in a completely different. Like I'm not selling. I'm not going to go into detail what it is, but like I'm not selling. I'm basically trying to sell your company, which is a lot easier to ask. So I'm like, hey, look, I know that these reply rates and these open rates are great, but like you cannot benchmark to this. Like you know, you never know what the industry, you never know the lead list that you have, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, uh, so can, many can, variables. Yeah, you can literally put the same exact messaging and sequence together in two different lists and one will get 50% open rate and the other one will get 10% open rate. And like, you can dive in there and understand, but like, what the heck, you know, it it almost doesn't make sense at some point. Right. No, I love that you said that because like, we'll get companies who will come in and they're like, oh, you already work with a luxury appliance brand. Well, then we're not sure we want to work with you. I'm like, why? Because we have all of this experience in your industry. And by the way, some of it may, some of the strategy that we implement for them may work for you, but you have your own stuff. Completely. And that's, those variables are going to change the results for you. So like, I don't see it as competition or or something like that. I actually see it as like a strength. They, just to, just to uh, bookend that, um, they asked me, they were like, oh, what, what should we be aiming for? Like in the beginning? And maybe I'm wrong on this, but I was like, Nothing like you shouldn't have a number that you're trying to hit. Zero expectations. No, yeah, it's no true. Idea. Just yeah, hit the first one, push out the first one. Zero if you get zero percent, whatever, and then just get more. And then like yes. then you can start to benchmark, and then you know what a good sequence looks like versus a bad sequence. But um, but like don't be like we need to hit a fifty percent reply rate or open rate because uh, like you have no idea going into it. That reminds me of something that my mastermind group told me. It was um, oh, I'm probably gonna butcher how it gets said, but it's like I can't give you a prescription without a diagnosis because that would be malpractice. Huh? Yeah, I think right. 
So like, I can't tell you what the prescription is, like what the, what you should look for until there's a diagnosis. You need the data, right? And then you can give the prescription. So you need those, those datas, the benchmarks, and then you can probably tell them. That's funny. The the two founders at the company I'm working at now, they love the phrase, I don't want to be prescriptive. Uh, so for you to say that, I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's probably um, the easier, better way to say it. That's like the marketing way to say it. Right. Uh, well, they, they just say it all the time. And I'm like, it's funny for you to say that as well, because it's, it's totally true. Um, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? Not currently, but we are pretty much, I don't want to say always hiring because it sounds like we're always hiring, but like Every quarter, we probably make a hire. So we're usually looking for community managers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because we do the social customer care, we need a lot of people who can handle like high volume. They can work early mornings, late nights, weekends, you know, all different times. So uh, not at the moment, but that'll probably be the next one that comes up and it'll probably come up sooner rather than later. And then last question, uh, any books, podcasts, newsletter, anything recommendations? Um, well, I just got invited to be the host of a new podcast for social media examiner and it's called the marketing agency show. And it's all about being an agency owner and the challenges that we face. And it's going to be the only show that like gets down to the nitty gritty. Like we're going to talk about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. So I'm going to have guests on the show who are willing to like pull back the curtain and be like, yeah, here's what we, where we failed. Here's how bad it was. And here's how we fixed it. So definitely check that out. <laughs> no, that was, that was perfect for obviously our listeners being in the same, in the same bucket. Any, any book recommendations or. Uh, my, the last book that I read, uh, it's a, it's a friend of mine, Evelyn Starr wrote a book called teenage waste brand. And it's all about the growing pains that you have. So you're a startup and everything's crazy. But then when you get to be a teenager, other growing pains happen and you're faced with these challenges and learning how to scale and get past the humps that come, the humps and the lumps that come with being a teenager or a teenage brand. So I'd highly, highly, highly recommend you read it if you are nearing your te- teenage phase or you are in your teenage phase. I, I like that a lot. Also, The Who is like my second favorite classic rock band for Teenage Wasteland or Bob O'Reilly, where, like, where that came from. So I, I love that. Uh, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere. You could just Google Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, Sellis, S-E-L-L-A-S. I think I'm the only Brooke Sellis out there so far. That's That's been my research. Um, but you can also go to bsquared.media to see our website, all the services we offer, or find me there to connect or uh, sign up for a newsletter and you'll get that little email from me and just know if you reply, I will respond. (laughs) Awesome. Brooke, thank you so much. I'm sure you get this all the time that your energy is incredible. Um, And this, honestly, this has been one of my favorite episodes. Uh, And for those of you who learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the greatest or highest quality guests like Brooke. Uh, And as always, thank you for listening. Brooke, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.